Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I am Subi, no Taylor Dammel today, but we were lucky enough to be joined by a very special guest. We talk everything Big East, but more specifically, we talk about Xavier basketball. That's right. Xavier fans, I hope you are tuned into this one. We have a great episode about the upcoming season with one of your own. And we talk about everything in the past as well. We also talk about the Sean Miller podcast. Don't don't worry, it's not Sean Miller that we were that we that we had on, but we had one of the co-hosts of the Sean Miller podcast, and I'll tell you exactly who after the break. But it was a lot of fun and it got me thinking. Xavier has been very, very kind to me. I've had I've had David Miller on, I've had Ryan Anderson on, two assistant coaches at Xavier. You all know I'm a huge Southwest Ohio guy. I love Cincinnati. So Xavier might be my cheat team for a while. They have been very, very kind to me over the years. But before we do get to that interview, want to make sure that you know we're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, Derek Brown from Xavier, sticking with the Musketeer theme. He was drafted by the Bobcats and also played overseas, had a very nice pro career and an awesome collegiate career. He was an A-10 freshman, uh, an all A-10 freshman, I should say, and an all A-10 team member as well. Derek Brown is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. Okay, we have a great interview 
coming up for you just under a week out from tip off for the college basketball season. I'm Pavlov and folks, I cannot wait. The secret scrimmages, all that nonsense, you can keep them because I'm not taking much from it. Although Louisville did lose to a middling D2 team. You can't do that if you're Louisville and you just had the season that you had. There is no room for error. There's no grace period for pretty much 98 to 99% of the other teams. If they lose in a scrimmage, I'll say to myself, that's all right. I don't read too much into it. Louisville, I think you got no choice but to read into it. At what point does this turn around for Kenny Payne? But anyway, we got college basketball coming up in under a week. And in an effort to get you prepped for that, in an effort to get you prepped for arguably the best conference in America, the Big East, and one of the more compelling teams in that conference, Xavier, we brought on Paul Fritchner, co-host of the Sean Miller podcast and a rising star in this industry. Paul is a real treat to chat with. He is so young, uh, but has accomplished so much. Very polished, refined, professional Um easy to communicate with, had a lot of fun chatting with him regarding his time at Xavier, how he got into the industry, who he's crossed paths with. And we have a little fun at the end as well. So Xavier fans, I think you're going to enjoy this. And Paul, it was, it was a real pleasure chatting with you. uh, And thank you for sharing your stories. So without further ado, there's no need for me to chat anymore. Let's go ahead and get to our interview with Paul Fritschner. All right, we are thrilled to welcome on to Theater and College Hoops a Xavier alum and broadcaster who has covered baseball, soccer, volleyball, and of course, our favorite sport here, basketball, a co-host of the newly minted Sean Miller podcast, which is what we're going to get into a little bit later, and truly a rising star in this game of ours. We got Paul Fritschner joining us today. Paul, how are you? Well, you know, it's very uh, complimentary of you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I mean, this is uh, something I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, let's get right into it. Okay, before we do that, did I get your last name pronunciation correct? You did, which is something uh, that I'd say the hit rate on that is about 50%, maybe lower. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Is there a Xavier player you can make a comp to as it relates to maybe field goal percentage? So, if there's who's a 50% shooter? Oh man, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think who, you know, I don't want to do anybody any disrespect. I'm not going to say anybody off the top of my head, but you know, when, when, when you have a name like this and there's two things about the name like this, one, it's the spelling. It's good on branding because you can get any Twitter handle. You can get any email address. You can get any Instagram handle. You can do all that. But then you have to make sure that people spell it right and you pronounce it right. So I appreciate it. I well, thank you. I, I mean, that's a very good point. My last name's Subramanian, 11 letters, <laughs> way too many syllables. And my wife, when when we got married, she's been going through the name change. And I'm, I'm not I don't care whether or not you change your name. Uh, I don't have to necessarily be a traditionalist or anything like that. But she was like, it is very easy getting a uh, email address oh, logged yeah. in Gmail right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best parts. One of the redeeming parts. Yeah. Well, so speaking of nuptials and marriage, uh, you are an engaged man over (laughs) this past weekend. Paul, congratulations. Well, well, so, you know, it's funny. I uh, that didn't happen this weekend. That happened back in May 
But what happened was, so the way that I got her dressed up was to say that we were going to that restaurant for dinner. And then we never actually made it there for dinner because we went out and had a party and everything after. So this weekend was like kind of making up for it. I think maybe it got a little lost in translation because I woke up on Sunday morning and I had a bunch of texts that said, hey, congratulations. I'm going, wait, what's going on? And I saw your email and I went back and I read my tweet. I'm going, wait a second. People definitely think that this happened last night and I should have probably worded this a little bit better. So that's not on you. That's on me. But I appreciate it nonetheless. Of course, of course. So, I, I mean, I'll take responsibility for that. I hope I didn't start a charge of, I mean, that was just an email, but I'm glad I wasn't alone in that. No, respect. you were very much not alone. You were very much not alone. It's okay. No, it, we, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, we, I, we always try to do something before the college basketball season starts. Cause really once that ball goes in the air on opening night, it's like, I'll, you just don't even sleep until April starts. So uh, yeah, it's, but it, it's good. We're a week away now. Uh, from, from the actual wedding. Oh, oh no, God, basketball. no, no, no. From basketball. From no, basketball. We're, about, we're about eight or nine months from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can tell I love love and I also love college basketball. It's difficult Absolutely. to balance the two. Yeah. Uh, Paul, I want to dive into your, your background, though. I think it's very important for everyone to better understand how someone like you got started. You're a young guy, man, and you are reaching some crazy, awesome levels uh, where your name is out there for sure. So, Paul, I want to get a better understanding of how you got started in this space. Take us all the way back to maybe even senior year of high school and how you got interested in doing what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. I, I, the way I looked at it was, you know, there are options when you go to school, right? You, you can go to Syracuse, you can go to Missouri, you can go to Northwestern, you can go to Arizona State, a lot of these big broadcasting schools. But the way that I looked at it was if I went to a place like Xavier, which I was already familiar with because I had a lot of family members that had gone through there. Uh, you know, if, if you go to a place like Xavier, there might be more opportunities presented to you earlier in, in your career. And yeah, you might not learn as much from peers. You might not learn as much in the classroom it, from a broadcasting perspective as you would if, if you went to a Syracuse or an Arizona state. But what, val what, what was valuable to me was getting on the air and getting the reps and getting the the chance to be behind a microphone earlier on in my college experience, as opposed to maybe waiting until my junior or senior year, if I went to one of the bigger schools and sure enough, I mean, two weeks into my freshman year at Xavier, I was hired in the athletic department. I was doing social media, stuff like that. And then by the spring I was broadcasting baseball. I made that a, a, a situation where they basically had me and they had a couple other broadcasters that we rotated through. And, and one guy, Mike Schmaltz, who is he and I have done pretty much every broadcast together over the last seven or eight years uh, from all the non men's basketball sports. And uh, so from that perspective, it was great for me to just get on the air and get the reps early. And then from the men's basketball side, once I graduated um, in, in the winter of 1920, so the, the year that we didn't have the NCAA tournament that season, um, they hired me as the arena host for Xavier, which is basically like, the, hey, I'm in section 214. You know, we're doing the the Meyer T-shirt toss or whatever it is. And um, that kind of gave me the uh, the ability to get get my name out there a little bit more. You know, you're in front of 10,000 people 17, 18 times a year, which uh, it, the funny thing is. A lot of times people ask me if I get nervous because when you're behind a microphone or when you're calling a game, there are no nerves, at least for me, because all I'm doing is talking into a headset and I feel like the producer is the person hearing me and then whoever else is out in the audience is just icing on the cake. 
But when you're standing there in front of 10,000 people, it's a whole different ball game. I don't treat it any differently than that because I have a camera that's looking at me that's going on to the Jumbotron. So from that perspective, it's all the same. Um, it, it, it is weird to say like that. And I know that th- that's a very non-relatable thing, uh, but that's just kind of how I look at it. And and so basically what I wanted to do was, um, you know, I, I spent a summer in minor league baseball doing broadcasting. I did all these things and I basically just kept trying to find my niche. I kept trying to say, you know, what do I want to do? How do I want to best utilize my career. And it kept always taking me back to college basketball. I think when I was growing up, I always said I wanted to do baseball, basketball, do do everything. Um, and, the, and the more and more I focused in on it, the more and more I realized that if I did baseball and had to give up college basketball, that wasn't something I wanted. Um, I, I really liked being able to do the college basketball in the winter. It's a fairly compact season. It's not like it takes you know, it's not like it's a baseball season that if you're in spring training, it goes from February to November. If your team's in the World Series, I mean, we're talking about a season that is about 16 weeks long. You know, I mean, de- depending on how long your your team is in the tournament um, and, you know, between November, December, January, February, it's the worst months of the year weather wise. I mean, really, it's just it's just the best of both worlds from that perspective. You're inside, you're having fun, you're covering a sport that's um really, really a premier sport. And it is a lot of fun to be around. Um, so now that has turned into my full-time job and something I'm really, really excited about uh, now, especially in the last few weeks, getting some of these projects off the ground. Well, you could also make a case, Paul, that there's there's no reason to shut the door for future endeavors, right? You look at a guy like Dan Shulman, who does, I think, the Blue Jays and also yep. big-time college basketball, I could absolutely see you being the voice of a potential, what, the Reds? I don't know. Uh, it's certainly, a, a, you know, a, a, a door that you could go through. Yeah, I, I think Dan Shulman, it's funny you say Dan Shulman, because I think his career is exactly what I had always modeled my career after. I mean, hey, that's somebody that if I could have anybody's job, it, it was always Dan Shulman's job that I said, that's the path that I would take. I, I think maybe it's evolved a little bit now that, I have done more and more in, in just the, the basketball coverage space, but yeah, I mean, it's still, that's still something that I'm interested in and we'll see maybe if it materializes down the line, I don't know, but right now I'm pretty much primarily focused on college basketball for the near future, at least. Well, it helps that you are an alum of a basketball school, big East, which is, which is huge. Uh, Paul, I'm curious to know, are you a Southwest Ohio kid as it is? No, I'm not at all. Actually, I uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside D.C., about 25 minutes from Georgetown. Um, I I was always somebody that uh, I I'm trying to trying to think of the best way to streamline this because I could get down a, a winding road here. Um, That's okay. But basi- but, but but basically, uh, I had family from Southwest Ohio, so I grew up um, my my grandparents for season ticket holders at Xavier. So when I would come and visit over winter break or Thanksgiving or whenever it was, if Xavier had a home game, they'd give me and my dad, you know, sometimes whoever it was with my mom, my dad, whoever, usually it was my dad and I that would, that would uh, come and we, the, the, two tickets would go to my dad and I, and we'd go to the game. And kind of from there, I, I liked the small school. I grew up going to a small grade school, small high school. So I liked the small school field. The basketball was important. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was not a Southwest Ohio kid at all. Just the family that I came and visited over holidays or over summer break, but uh, Northern Virginia and the, and the DC area, which is a much, much different metropolitan area than Southwest Ohio, I will say. 
You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I have an aunt that lives in Bethesda and a brother-in-law that's in, or excuse me, a sister-in-law that's in Southwest Ohio. So having visited both of them oh, yes. pretty often, I feel like I can make that difference out as well. Well, Hey, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a homecoming for you when Xavier goes to Georgetown. I don't know if that's on the schedule this year, uh, but is that yep, an opportunity? Twice. Okay. twice. Yep. 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 They'll be there. Uh, I don't know what the date is. I'm hoping that I'm traveling uh, to a majority of the games this year. I would like to make it back out there. I haven't been back to the DC area in a couple of years, so it'd be fun to get back out there, maybe see some friends and uh, some people I haven't seen in a while. But again, when you're on a basketball trip like that, it's so quick. You come in the day before and then you turn around as soon as the game's over. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I really love the DC area. It's my favorite city in the world. I've traveled a lot. I've been really lucky to travel a lot. And, and DC, I mean, I know I'm obviously biased because I grew up there, but uh, it is it is the best. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's dive in a little bit on some of the projects that you've been working on. But first, Big East Media Day. Were you in the building? Were you at MSG? I was. Uh, yeah. So I was on the basically the the, the coverage show Big East Shoot Around that John Fanta hosted um, with Tariq Turner and Vin Parisi. They did that show together at the desk. They talked to coaches and then they'd send it over to me uh, over on the side doing interviews with players. It, it was great. It's, it's always a great experience being there at Media Day because it feels like it's the official kickoff of the season. It feels like, all right, hey, basketball season is back. We get an opportunity here to see a lot of people you haven't seen in a long time. You reconnect. It's been six months since the last time you've seen a lot of these people, whether it's media members or whether it's, you know, administrators from the schools, whether it's coaches, players, whoever it is, you just haven't seen these people in a while. And they're people that you become pretty close with over the course of a season. So it's good to see everybody get good to reconnect. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great day. You get the interaction on social media and you get to start uh, talking to fans again and, and people that maybe haven't reached out to you in a while. So uh, all of that together and being at Madison Square Garden, too, it, it never gets old. Yeah. So not to sound like Rothstein here, uh, but I did have some well-embedded moles at Big East Media Day, aka just a friend of mine who does terrific work on his own podcast. It's the Providence Crier. So he, he covers Providence basketball. And so obviously the hot button topic, not only just in the conference, but throughout the entire country, January 27th, Ed Cooley making his return. But at Big East Media Day, did you kind of notice was all the media at his booth uh, or was it spread around? How did you how did you sort of navigate the, the landscape there of uh, the questions and how they were they were thrown out? Uh, so I would say that the majority when, when you talk about like big crowds at Media Day, when Rick Pitino walked in, you could tell that there was something different in the air, right? You could just tell that the media swarmed the pictures of him sitting at the podium with everybody around him. It was, it just had a different vibe, a different feel. It was cool being there and seeing the crowd and seeing that Rick Pitino effect that was in the building. Um, yeah, I don't think it, it is funny that January 27th date, because from the perspective of the two schools, you're trying to be as respectful as you can, right? Because it's a game. It's, it's a coach that gave a lot to your program and it's, but it's also a coach that left and went to another program in the big East. And you see a lot of people that, you know, compare this to other, other places. I mean, you look at Xavier, Chris Mack left and went to Louisville and Mack was a Xavier alum. And you look at Ed Cooley, somebody that grew up Providence, Providence guy. And he left the difference between these, these guys that, leave and go to another school 
is that they don't generally go to a school in the same conference. And, you know, Ed acknowledges that he's, he's talked at length about that in interviews and in media appearances and on the panel with John. And it's just, he, he has tried his best to navigate these waters and nobody is going to be able to fully navigate them until the morning of January 28th, when that game is all said and done and there's a winner and there's a loser and that game is over and done with. Um, But yeah, I think that definitely is a game that I asked John that question last week. I don't think there's going to be a bigger game in college basketball this season. Um, I I would at least going into the year, unless there are storylines that develop throughout the season, you know, two teams that maybe we didn't expect were going to be as good that maybe meet toward the end of the year. If there's a Big East title race at the end of the season, I don't know. I, I just it's hard for me to to sit here on Halloween as we were recording this and think to myself that there's going to be any bigger game in all of college basketball than that game uh, at Providence between Georgetown and Providence on the 27th. Yeah. I I think from a storyline perspective, you're absolutely right. When it comes to the juice, uh, I'm most certainly looking forward to that. I would say that there's a ton of great out of conference games. uh, Oh, there are between like top 15, top 10 ranked opponents. But as it relates to the hometown kid coming back to a school that he left, it doesn't get, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't at all. And, and um, I'll, me as well as everybody else will be very interested to see how that all plays out on the, on the 27th. Yeah. Hey, uh, last little follow-up on Biggie's media day. I heard John Fanta runs that uh, place with an iron fist. I hear that he is <laughs> the guy. Is that accurate? John is the man. It, it is funny when you, when you're standing around John and I've got to know him very, very well over the last six to seven years. Um, he was two years ahead of me at Seton hall. He was the class of 2017 at Seton hall. I was a class of 2019 at Xavier. So we overlapped as students a little bit. Um, but I mean, being around him and especially in the last, I would say two years when his, he, he was always big, especially as a student, he was always a, a big deal, but in the last, I would say, two to three years, really since the field of 68 has taken off too. I mean, his, he, he's gone from being a big deal in the Big East to now being a big deal throughout college basketball. Um, and he's great. He's, he's, he's never met a stranger. So when, you, when you're talking to him and everybody's coming up to him, that's just how it goes, baby. <laughs> He's terrific. I, I, I've started following him a couple of years back and I'm sure this is going to be, I'm going to have a similar experience following you now, Paul, moving <laughs> forward. So let's talk a little bit though about uh, the Sean Miller podcast, please. All right. I am very intrigued about this. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that got started, the inspiration for it and how this all came together. Yeah. So uh, basically I, I was presented with this opportunity officially in, in early August. Um, and it, it came to me and, and basically the way this was presented to me was that Sean wanted to do a podcast that was different from the coaches shows that a lot of coaches, pretty much every coach does on a weekly basis, right? You do your weekly radio show. Generally it's part of a coach's contract and in that show, I I love a good coach's show because I think it's very valuable for fans to get an extended press conference type 
feel from the coach and things maybe that, you know, if the coach didn't get asked about in the week earlier in a press conference or maybe the, the team had a few days off, they didn't play over the weekend, whatever it might be. Um, I think the, the coaches shows are really valuable. Um, but the difference with the coaches shows and what we're trying to do is that we don't want those shows to overlap. When I had a conversation with Joe Sunderman and Byron Larkin, who are the, the radio voices of Xavier and they're the hosts of the coaches show, you know, my first overall point to them was I don't want anything we do to infringe on what they do. I, I think there is clearly a market for both shows to exist where we have the opportunity to basically give Sean a platform to talk about whatever he wants to talk about, however he wants to talk about it. So whether it's, whether it's him coming to Adam Baum and I, who's our co-host on the show, um, whether it's, it's, it's Sean coming to us and saying, Hey, you know, this week I want to make sure we talk about this and this and this player for this and this and this reason, whether it's doing uh, an interview with a guest or whether it's whatever it is, it's basically just a platform for Sean to have his voice and his own controllable media and uh, kind of a cool way for fans to peel back the curtain and see a different side and a personality of Sean Miller that maybe they haven't seen before, or that at least that they got a little taste of when Sean did the field of 68 a couple of years ago in his year off. And he's talked a lot about that. I mean, this is something that, you know, as Jeff Goodman told me at media day, you would have never ever gotten Sean to do this five, 10 years ago. But now that he's, I guess, seeing the value of it and seeing what it can do for you and for your program. And in today's changing landscape of media where uh, it's, it's a lot easier to get content. It's just a no brainer really. And so when I was presented with this opportunity to help host it, help edit it, create content for it. um, We have a lot of other plans for things we want to do down the line of, of just more coverage, more things that we can do. I think it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun. And and the biggest thing for me is that I think that this show and one of the goals, at least of mine in, in creating this show and helping create this show is that it branches out beyond just Xavier. It, it obviously will, will have a lot of Xavier specific content, but that it'll be able to help build a national brand for Xavier where he's talking about other college basketball topics. He's talking about, um, his coaching experiences, things like that, that you're not going to get many other places. There's so much to unpack with that answer, Paul. And I appreciate (laughs) the detail. Let me start first with the Goodman note that you had, had mentioned, and then also just unpacking that response specifically as it relates to Sean. Uh, I went to Arizona, right? I was there during the Sean Miller era. And I think he may have had a Twitter for a few years, but that was about it. That was the extent. And of course, Paul, we've seen the evolution of damn near every player in the NBA NFL has a podcast. I got Micah Parsons like two hours after taking off his pads recording a a podcast. Right. So the access and the information coming directly from the subject's mouth has never been greater, I don't think. And so seeing Sean Miller 
right? If I comp it to what I was looking at when I was in college and even a few years after, it is a bit striking and a bit jarring to see. uh, And I'm not as close. I don't know Sean Miller personally. I know him as a head coach, right? But it's very cool to see him sit down with a microphone in front of him. And when I saw him on the field of 68, I thought he was great, him and Archie. And now he's doing this in addition to his, his coach's role. But I think you also mentioned something very interesting, and I love that Sean wants to touch on not only Xavier topics, including his players, but also everything in the college basketball landscape. But is there is there uh, another approach or another bene- benefit in the sense that he's speaking to potential recruits and folks yeah. across the country to help build this program, uh, not only from a brand perspective, but uh, from a player perspective as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is definitely something that he recognizes could help recruits down the line where you say, hey, you know, you're, there's obviously things that you have to be careful of when you're doing recruiting and, and making sure that you're doing everything the right way. And, and uh, the more and more that you can get your voice out there and get your message out there that, hey, this is our program. This is what you can come be a part of. This is what you can um, help build if you come to to play for us and choose to be a part of our program, I think that is definitely a massive, massive part of this. Hey, I'm not the guy that I, I thought, I thought Sean made a great point in our last episode that, that came out yesterday with John Fanta that, you know, John was joking about how the first time he did a show with Sean and Archie a couple years ago, one of his biggest goals was to get them to lighten up. And Sean laughed and said, you know, there you go with the stereotype again, never laughs, never smiles. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, man, that's, that is the stereotype that we've heard about him for so long. And I now just said all it. Of a, yeah. And, and now all of a sudden he's somebody that's showing this completely different side of him, or at least a side that has always been there that he's never been able to show. And now that we can help kind of get that out of him. Yeah. Uh, kudos to you for the quick turnaround time, by the way. This this came to you in August. This this thing got constructed quick. Yeah. So uh, it, it came to me in August. Uh, I I came on. I started full time probably the second week of August or some somewhere around there. Um, and basically, I worked with Adam Baum pretty much every day for the last couple of months saying, um, you know, here's what we need. Here are some topics we want to make sure we cover. Here's how we want to attack this. Because the other thing too, <clears throat> sorry. Yep. The other thing too is, uh, you know, when you get into college basketball season, it, it's tough sometimes to have a consistent day of the week where you're recording. So I think that is one thing that people are going to have to be flexible with where, Hey, if he's out recruiting or if there's a game, you know, it might not be every Monday or it might not be every Tuesday, but we're going to do our best to get one out every week because we know that that's, valuable for people. And that's part of what we try to build some consistency and uh, yeah, it should be fun. So Paul, in those instances where you may have to have a surrogate or someone else step in for Sean, can I recommend David Miller and or Ryan Anderson? Those are my guys. I love those guys. Yeah. David Miller. Fantastic. Fantastic guy. Just absolutely fantastic guy. Yeah, they really are. He's been great. Paul, I want to now pivot a little bit and talk about this upcoming season for Xavier. Uh, Great year last year, coming off of a tournament run, tournament win as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that, the details. I'm curious to know the experience uh, that you had. But when it comes to this upcoming Musketeers team, there's so much roster turnover. 
that's the one thing I noticed, at least uh, in my assessment of Xavier this offseason and heading into the season. To you, what is a fair expectation for this for this team with so much roster and personnel change? You know, I've been trying to answer that question for the last couple of weeks in my head to say, what can we expect out of the Savior team? I think this is a team that's capable of making the tournament. Um, but with Sean Miller and this coaching staff and the player development that they have, I wouldn't be surprised with anything that this team is able to do or accomplish because you look at last year and last year wasn't as much of an unknown because you at least had the players coming back. Now this year, it kind of feels like this year is what we thought last year might be where you're getting a new coach and there's a lot of roster turnover. Last year was a little unprecedented this year where you have 10 new faces. You really only have one contributing returning player. Yes. Cam craft is back too, but Cam craft didn't play a lot of minutes last year. He was hurt. Now all of a sudden this year you have Des Claude who you're hoping makes a massive jump pretty much expected that he will. And then 10 new players. You're looking at six first year players, four transfers, that is incredible, incredible amounts of roster turnover for this year. And you're hoping that they gel early. I think this is a tournament team. I think this is a team that can finish in the top half of the Big East. Um, but it's certainly going to be a challenge when you're looking at Purdue, Houston, you know, Cincinnati, Washington, one of St. Mary's or San Diego State in the non-conference. It's a big deal. It's a bear of a schedule. You took the next question right out of my mouth. And I did highlight Purdue and Houston. And there are some of those other teams that you had mentioned that are going to be uh, tough matchups for sure. But Purdue and Houston, can you talk about not only just the game planning for it? Now, of course, you guys know it's a huge challenge. But how exciting is that to test or, or really measure yourself against some of the country's best? Um, I think it'll be really, really good for this group going into Big East play, given how good the Big East is supposed to be this year. I mean, the conference might be the best since it's been its best it's been since realignment. So to play a team like Purdue, who is, you know, not a consensus number one overall team, but pretty close to it when you return a national player of the year type guy in Zach Eady. And then you look at uh, Kelvin Sampson in Houston and the teams that he always has. I mean, this is a, a crazy schedule, but it'll pay dividends in the long run for for Xavier and the way that the schedule is set up because they're going to need it come conference play. Yeah. So, Paul, I want to ask you this, and this is actually a question that I, I try and ask all of my guests in the offseason, and technically we're still here in the offseason. Sure. But I remember last year when I had David on for the first time, I asked him, you know, who's a player that, as we sit here today, we we don't know about, uh, but come January, February, around Valentine's Day, let's say, the country is going to be taken by storm. And because he knows ball, he said Sule Boom in the offseason last year. And I mean, I've, I've named this question after Sule Boom because he was he had such a meteoric rise. Who is this sure. year's Sule Boom for Xavier? Paul doesn't have to be a transfer like Sule was. Just anyone that fits the criteria of, Country doesn't know about him today. They will come Valentine's Day. I think Lazar Djokovic might be that name. I, I don't know if I'm as confident in saying him as I would say a guy like Sule Boom. Um, Lazar is an international freshman. And that's maybe what makes me a little bit concerned is that he's so young, but he's played against high-level competition. Um He's somebody just size-wise, skill-wise, I think can really burst onto the scene this year. 
if he can overcome his size, my other answer to that is Trey Green, freshman point guard. Um, Trey Green is going to be a spectacular basketball player. He already is. He's just a little undersized. And I think if he's able to figure out defensively how to overcome that at the D- Division One level, he has no problem scoring. He has no problem distributing. Lazar and Trey would be my answers to that. It's tough that those are both first-year players at the Division One level, at least from my perspective. You know, I'm not picking a, a Quincy Olivari or a, a Davion McKnight or, or one of those guys that's transferred, a Boo Uzman that's transferred into the program, or a Gitas Namiksha who's also transferred in. An international transfer, yeah. I, I I think my answer to that question would be Lazar Djokovic. And if he plays to the potential that I think a lot of us are hoping that he does, he's going to be incredibly special. This will be cut and clipped. I can't wait to use it every <laughs> Paul. I'm th- I I hope, did it with, look, I, did I hope table. I'm right. I hope I'm right. I really do. Um, I, I think th- there are going to be some growing pain, growing pains early. But as the season goes on, I hope uh, that 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 answer uh, is a good enough answer for you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I I trust you. I trust your 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 brain. Oh, let's hope. I don't know if you should trust <laughs> me, but let's hope. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about one specific player. And Paul, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I I'm moved or feel terrible anytime that there's an injury or anything like that, that comes with every single player, right? That's part of the game. But for me, at least it was pretty impossible not to feel downtrodden, sad, and just disappointed for Zach Fremantle. So everyone covers Zach Fremantle and the injury from a basketball perspective. And I understand that that's what you're supposed to do. Truth be told, I under, I already already know how important, how good Zach Fremantle is as a player. Can you take us behind the curtains, though, Paul, and give us a better understanding of how this has impacted him just on a personal level and what his spirits are as it relates to really just terrible luck these last two years? You know, I wish I could answer that question a little bit better. I actually haven't been able to talk to Zach too much um, in the last couple of months. He's kind of, he, he has been around the program a little bit. Um, you know, it's not like he got hurt and, and hasn't been around. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I could sit here and, and make things up, but I'll just tell you right now, I, I don't, I don't have a great read like spirits wise on how he's doing. I do know that he has no intention of, you know, stopping his basketball career just because he keeps having the same recurring injury. So I guess that is the one thing that I could tell you. Um, that's not really breaking news. I mean, if you've followed Xavier the last couple of months to, to any Xavier fan that's listening to this, I think, uh, you know, knowing Zach and knowing how he views this, as long as there's nothing reoccurring again after this, you know, having to get a couple of surgeries and having to, to, to try and fight his way back. And I, I would expect that he just keeps plodding forward and, and trying to see what his basketball future is like, but being around Zach, I don't think that this is necessarily going to stop him. Like I said, from playing basketball, what, what that looks like though in the future, that's hard to say. So Paul, I'm glad you mentioned that, but I, I do want to push back a little bit and say that, yeah, maybe Xavier fans don't or know this. This is, 
BAU business as usual for them or information they know. But it goes back to your point about the Sean Miller podcast. You're also speaking to the entire country. I, I can tell you, I didn't know that. I, I can yeah. certainly, and I'll, and I'll tell you what, Sean has had a player with an injury history that I think ended up retiring from basketball and Raekwon Smith uh, a few years back at Arizona. So, you know, I'm glad that, that it was certainly news to me, Paul, uh, that, that Zach seems undeterred and wants to continue forging forward. Now, obviously I wish him the best of luck and I'm happy and hopeful that he gets back on the court in any capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, what that looks like and when that happens and, you know, how that happens. I don't know. It, it's the same, you know, when you look at Zach and you look at Jerome Hunter, um, Jerome Hunter's had his own health issues that he's had to be withheld from the, from the team here. And, and, you know, that's killing him. I, I mean, that is really, really uh, getting him down and getting his spirits down is it. Well, okay, wait, let me back up here. Let me back up. I also haven't been able to talk a whole lot to Jerome, Jerome and Zach. I've seen them. They've been around, you know, I, I've been able to, to kind of exchange real quick highs and hellos with both of them, but to sit down and have a conversation and say, you know, hi, Jerome, how are you? You know, what, what are you thinking in the future? I really haven't had those kinds of conversations with either of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would expect that at some point, you know, if Jerome Hunter is, is cleared to play basketball again, he's had health issues. I don't know to what extent those health issues are, are holding him back now, you know, whatever that looks like down the road. Um, I, I anticipate that both of them at some point in some way would love to play basketball again, but what that looks like, I don't know. Yeah. All really great detail, Paul. Let's take yeah. a step back though and talk a little bit about last year real quick. The Kennesaw State game. Can you tell yeah. us what was going through your mind? Just as an alum, obviously you cover the team, but you rooting for your your alumni in, in the NCAA tournament. And I'll be honest with you, Kennesaw State was a national darling, at least for me. Uh, I loved Chris Youngblood. Uh, and I, it's hard not to, it was hard not to root for them after some of the abysmal seasons that they really had. And then they win their conference tournament. They play Xavier. Uh, that was a nail biter though. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I think around the under 16 or the under 12, I was sitting next to Adam Baum and and I kind of looked at him and I said, man, this is going to be really tough. This is going to be really tough because, you know, as Sean pointed out on the podcast, he, he goes, Hey, you're only an under or you're only it's only a neutral court in the NCAA tournament until the under underdog starts to win. And then all of a sudden it's an away game. And that's exactly what that was because Xavier was the first game of the day. Uh, people were still filtering in. It was it was not very crowded when the game started. It's the the three fourteen game. And you're just thinking, OK, let's just keep it moving to the next game, which was Pitt and Iowa State. And then as people started to come into the building and they saw that Xavier was Quite honestly, I mean, I don't want to say it was a route, but it was pretty close to a route there to get the, the second half started. And uh, when Xavier started to kind of get their legs under him, it was Jerome Hunter that saved the season for Xavier in that game. Um, and, you know, that was a Xavier team that hadn't been to the postseason or had, well, they'd certainly been to the postseason. They won the NIT the year before, but they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament. And there were, the inexperience showed um, and it was almost like Sean said, you get there and you're just happy you're there. And then now all of a sudden you're thinking, wait, this is a team that just won their conference tournament. They're a talented team. They're a good team. And right now they're handing it to us. And Xavier did not look good. They looked 
they looked as bad as they had looked almost all season, except for maybe the away game at Creighton. Um, and then all of a sudden, with about 12 minutes to go, things started to turn around. They started to get stops and string some scores together. And then they look like the Xavier of old. And that was where I was thinking to myself, okay, you got things under you. You got your legs under. You're starting to play a little better. And, and from my perspective, I mean, selfishly, you know, Xavier hadn't played in the NCAA tournament in four years. <clears throat> that was when I was a student. And I was enjoying being there and covering the team. I, I didn't want the weekend to end. So to then win and, and to keep moving forward, it was a fun day. It was a fun experience, but definitely a nail biter. It's so funny. You mentioned the, how it shifts from a neutral site game to really an away game. I've spoke, I've been lucky enough to speak with a lot of mid-major coaches. I actually had Brett McConnell on this off season, uh, assistant coach at Princeton, who I believe is going to be a head coach at some point very soon. He's brilliant, but he was saying, you know, once we started getting rolling against Arizona and, and we kept him at bay, really the entire game, uh, that was a home game. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I believe that yep. wholeheartedly. Yep. No uh, doubt. So you mentioned that Pitt, Iowa state game. They're in the same region. People who know Sean Miller, people who know college basketball know that there's a history there. Uh, do you, I, I don't expect there to be any sort of salacious answer here, but did you know if there was any personal motivation for Sean going against his alma mater? You know, I don't think I never got the vibe that it was that it was a situation where he's going, oh, we have to win because this is pit. I, mean, I think it was he's been around the block. He knows he's been a head coach for long enough. You know, I mean, even if you think back, he played at Pitt, but back in, in 2015, 2017, you're playing Xavier in the NCAA tournament, a school that you had coached at. So it's not like he hadn't had experience coaching in the NCAA tournament against programs that he felt a strong connection to. Uh, of course, one time he beat Xavier, another time he lost to Xavier. Um, and I think... Uh, I think just the way that that game transpired, I don't think there was really, maybe he, he, maybe he did and he didn't share it, but I don't know how much he felt like, Oh, we have to beat them because I played there or, or it's, it's a personal game for me. I think he just recognized that, Hey, we are one game away from the sweet 16. And um, over the last, I forget the stat exactly. I'm going to butcher this. But over the last, I don't know how many, 10 years, nobody's better in the second round than Sean Miller. Um, uh, getting to the Sweet 16, you know, he's he's obviously, you know, there have been a couple of upsets in the first round. When you look back at Arizona and Buffalo, um, you know, th there have been some slip-ups. But when you get to the second round, if you're a Sean Miller team over the last 10 years, you've gotten to the Sweet 16. And it felt like in that pick game, there was this massive weight lifted off the Xavier players shoulders. They played a lot more free. They played a lot more um, open flowing. It looked better. They overwhelmed Pitt and, and Pitt made a run at the end, but it, it was Xavier pretty much from start to finish. Yeah. Well, Sean's, Sean took Arizona to, I think, three Elite Eights. So you're, you're, I mean, that that tracks for sure, Paul. Uh, and I think it's very interesting how when you get that one win under your belt, it's kind of go, starts going downhill from there. Like, I don't, I don't think Danny Hurley won a NCAA tournament game at UConn. I don't think he had. Um, and then he wins the national title. Yeah, I don't think he had. I'd have to think back on that. I don't. I don't think he had won um, 
I'm trying to think. I, I think, think he, he had. had. No, I don't. I don't think he had. I'm looking right now. Let's see. Because the year no, prior, they he, lost he to New not. Mexico State. I no, think. they didn't make the tournament his first two years. They lost in the first round the, the next two years, and yeah. then he won the title last year. Yep. Yeah. So just get that first one under your belt, and then you can get the next five pretty easy, right? No doubt about <laughs> it. Yeah, that, that's – yep. Yep. Sign me up for that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the last question I want to ask about last year's tournament team and how it relates to this upcoming season, I'm actually a pretty big believer, Paul, in in building blocks at the end of – the, the season and how you can carry that over into the off season and the upcoming season. Now, quite as it's kept, I thought Texas was a final four team, not just on paper, but they were up pretty big against Miami in that elite eight game. And they probably should have punched their ticket to the final four. Now Xavier played them uh, in the sweet 16 and you won the second half. The first half was, was difficult, but you win the second half. Do you think that Texas game, carried momentum, maybe even just that second half carried momentum into the off season and into this season, or is it, Hey, time to wipe, wipe the slate clean. Don't care about that Texas game. Yeah. I don't mean to, to come off as a downer here with that one, but I don't think there's anything to take away from that Texas game into this season for this team for a couple of reasons. One, you're, you're basically an entirely new team. So from that perspective with the players on this year's team, nobody really experienced that outside of Des Claude um, and Cam Craft. And Cam Craft only played uh, maybe a, a couple minutes in that game because he was just coming back from an injury. But that Texas game was over pretty much right away. Um, it was very similar to the Marquette Big East Championship game where you got the feeling pretty early on in that game. I think it was Dylan Disu that got hurt for Texas. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, Xavier, it was still very early. I think it was maybe two, three, four minutes into the game and and Texas hadn't quite separated themselves yet. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, wow, Xavier has a serious opportunity here where Houston just lost to Miami. Dylan Dissou is out for Texas. Xavier wins this game. They're one win away from the final four. Things could be happening here. And then, it, that that Texas game, it just they were over they were overwhelming. I was shocked that they didn't make it to the Final Four. To be honest, watching that game, I thought they were a national championship contending team. I they they were an incredible team last year. Um, didn't break their way in the Elite Eight. Credit to Miami, but yeah, that was uh, that was a tough game to watch and and to be there for because it was really over from five minutes into the game and. Yeah, I remember Texas, as Xavier kind of tried to make a run toward the end of the first half, Texas hit a three from half court at the buzzer at to, to end the first half. And that was that was the nail in the coffin if it wasn't already. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were able to experience three tournament games last year. Obviously, hopefully yep. more of this. Never take that season. for granted. I'll tell, I'll tell you that. Never take that for granted. Yeah, I mean, it looks like an absolute experience for sure, Paul. So what I want to do now, let's have a little fun. Let's do some quick hitter questions here. All right. Uh, I'm going to start off with a few would you rathers. Think of it like that. All right. So let me do this. Rank these losses in order of pain. I'm sorry to kick it off like this, but. Okay, go ahead. Kansas State loss, Ohio State loss, Florida State loss. Let me know if I'm being unclear on everything. Okay. No, no, no. I got you. Okay. So, so the most painful to me is the Kansas state loss by far, um, by, by bar none, by far the Kansas state loss, because now 
the Ohio State loss, I, I think a lot of Xavier fans listening to this would think back and, and probably say Ohio State is more painful because of because of how the game ended with with the Greg Oden shove. Um and, you know, going to overtime, they should have won the game. You know, I, I get that. And, and the proximity in the Ohio State. And it's not a rivalry necessarily, but there is definitely the overlap in the state of Ohio. So from that perspective, I get it. <clears throat> but to me, the Kansas State, without a doubt, that game is more painful to me thinking back on that because, yes, it was a, an incredible game. Uh, it, it's a game that a lot of Xavier fans still think back to very often. And, you know, the Crawford's got to hurry and, and everything like that. But what people forget about that game is that Xavier had Butler waiting for them in the next round to go to the final four. And there is no doubt in my mind that Xavier would have beaten Butler to go to the final four that year. So for Xavier to have such a painful loss in the sweet 16 with a very beatable Butler team waiting for them the next round to go to their first final four in program history. That's to me more painful to be honest. I think back to the Florida state loss. What was the most painful thing about the Florida state loss was that it was the end of so much that you had grown to know and love about the Xavier program between Sean O'Mara, Trayvon Blewett, J.P. Makura, Chris Mack. I mean, you think about all those players that, you know, Karim Canner was on that team that year. So many guys that that had such a, a, a great Xavier career that all of a sudden it, it all ended at one time. But I don't think back with as much pain with that Florida State loss because it happened so fast. I mean, Xavier was winning that game. They were winning, they were winning, they were winning. And then all of a sudden... In the blink of an eye, J.P. Makura fouls out and the game is over and Florida State wins. It all happened so fast that I don't think back on that Florida State game. I'm trying to remember who Xavier would have had. I don't know if it was Gonzaga waiting, maybe a West Virginia. There, there were. It wasn't as easy in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight that year. To be honest, the Wisconsin loss from two years earlier or three years, no, it would have been two years earlier, that loss was entirely more painful to me than the uh, – than the the Florida State one because that that Wisconsin loss you know you're a two seed you're the highest seed at that time that Xavier had ever been um, again it felt like a team that probably could have made the Elite Eight made a run to the Final Four you had so much talent you had Ed Sumner you had uh, Jalen Reynolds there, there was a lot of talent on that team James Farr and then it just didn't pan out the right way. Um, not, I mean, not to mention Blewett and Makura as well, but yeah, the, that's a long winded way to say that that Kansas state loss in double wow. overtime where he had Jordan Crawford to Holloway and the potential for what could have been. Um, if you think back to that, what would that have been? That would have been the 2010, I think NCAA tournament. Yeah, it was. Well, first um, of all, I mean, it was as a neutral observer, one of the best games ever because Gus is on the call. Danny Clemente, yeah. Jacob Poland's going back and forth. Frank Martin on one side. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, there, there's no doubt. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Xavier was like a national championship caliber team that year. I know they were a six seed, but when you have a five seed, I think I think Butler was a five seed that year. When you have Butler as a five seed, that you would have played to go to the final four. Uh, there were, there was a really good Kentucky team that year. There was a really good um, 
West Virginia team that year. I'm trying to, it was Duke that won the national championship. Um, so it's not like, it's not like I'm sitting here and saying, oh, that was Xavier's chance to win a national championship. But there's no doubt in my mind, Xavier would have gone to the final four that year. And so for me, looking back on it, just from a historical perspective, yeah, that one stinks. I would not have guessed that, Paul. When I was writing up this question, I was pretty sure it was going to be FSU one because you were the one seed or a one seed. But if I'm hearing you properly, Kansas State runaway winner, then then Ohio State write in vote for Wisconsin and then FSU and then Florida State. Yeah, I, I don't know right. why. And, and it's funny because I get asked that, that that's not the first time I've been asked that question. And a lot of people's answers to that question is Florida State. But I'm just looking at it from a what could have been perspective and that 2018 NCAA tournament. I mean, it, it wasn't a walk in the park. Um, Xavier was a very good team. They were a, a number one seed. They had a lot of opportunity in front of them, but they also, you know, they had Gonzaga. I think it was Gonzaga that was waiting for them in the next round. That would have been cool for Xavier to, to try and get some revenge for that massive elite eight loss from the year before. So that, that would have been cool, but, you know, I, th- I think it was a Michigan that ended up going to the final four out of that region. So it wasn't like it, there were a ton of upsets and Xavier just, oh, yeah, for sure. They would have walked through to the final four from there. They would have beaten Butler in 2010. <laughs> and that's what hurts. They would have beaten. There is there is no because, you know, now you're now you're just getting me down a rabbit hole. And I'm going to have to look this up. That was 2010. <laughs> While you um, do that, Paul, I just want to I just want to warn you against thinking that way. Uh, although it's probably better thinking that way because it's a what if. So because Xavier I, lost Xavier lost to Butler. I don't mean to cut you off. Xavier, no, go lost, ahead. To, Xavier lost to Butler by one at Hinkle Fieldhouse that year. I think that was the water fountain game. Um, I think that was the game where the, the, I don't know for sure if that was the water fountain game. I think it was. And if it was, um, then that was no, well, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I don't want to take up too much. This is just take your time, fantastic. Take your time. This is fantastic podcasting right here. Uh, uh, yes, I, I believe it was. I believe that was the water fountain. And even if it wasn't, um, what, what I'm talking about is that was the game where uh, Kenny Freeze got so mad that he, he ripped a water fountain off at Hinkle Fieldhouse after the game <laughs> because the referees just, the, they forgot to start the clock. Yep, and uh, Xavier had a chance to go down, and they would have gotten the ball back to win the game. Butler came down; they they had possession. Butler came down, scored what ended up being the game winning shot, but the referees had forgotten to start the clock, so they went back. They manually started the clock. They realized that the game time had expired. They didn't give Xavier a chance to get the ball back. It, it was a bizarre end of game situation. Um, all that is to say that Xavier lost that game by one and would have had a chance to get some revenge to go to the Final Four. There's your answer to that question. That would you asked I mean, for rapid fire, and I just spent seven minutes on that. That's totally fine. That's totally fine, Paul. Uh, I, I mean, by the way, that whole water fountain thing—that's so perfect college basketball. It Referees is. making a mistake, kids reacting—like it's just so perfect college basketball. No doubt. All right. Uh, next, would you rather? Would you rather drive a car that has an advertisement on it? So this is your mode of transportation, right? You can get from point A to point B in a car, but it has a fat obnoxious advertisement decal on it or rely on Matt Stainbrook's Uber services. Oh man. 
I know Matt very well. I'm going to have to say Matt. Um, Matt is an incredibly reliable person. He will always get me where I need to go. There's no doubt in my mind that if I needed to depend on Matt to get somewhere, he would take care of me. Obviously, this joke was having, or not this joke, this question was having a bit of fun. It should be noted Matt Stanbrook was a hell of a player. One of the most effective loving guys that I've seen on a basketball court. Matt and talk about a, play. a great transfer. Talk, a yes. Great transfer. I mean, one, one of the best savior transfers of that era and somebody that made a huge difference. He played on that team that lost to Sean Miller um, in the NCAA tournament, but that was a team that very well could have beaten that Arizona team. And um, yeah, Matt was great. Had a great pro career too overseas. Absolutely. That was a grind of a sweet 16 game. Uh, Paul, yeah, my last, my last sort of hypothetical question here. It is Halloween. Are you a guy that will let kids have as much as they want? I mean, they, they dig their huge, small palms, I should say, not huge, small palms into the bowl. Or are you one of the people that says, uh, max it at three or something? No, take as much as you want. What are we doing here? Take as much That's as right. you want. Come on, have some fun. That, yeah. That, that, Tells me all I need to know about you as a person. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. You got to tell me this also. Is Are three musketeers, or is that like a common theme on campus around Halloween? I would say that that, that joke gets made enough that, yes, the three musketeers are a very prominent fixture of, uh, of, of yes, without a doubt. So – just another example of you speaking to the greater community. Cause I'm over here thinking without oh, a doubt <laughs> and everyone is like, this is so dumb. Well, it's funny when I'm calling a game and, you know, say I'm calling a soccer game and I sit there and I'm going, well, you know, three musketeers collide for the ball. And I'm going, ah, that's just a candy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, let's keep going on with these quick hitters. What's the most difficult or least glamorous, excuse me, least glamorous part of your work. Would you say? Oh, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything that I'm trying, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything is sunshine and roses. Maybe the travel sometimes can get a little tough. Um, you know, when you're, when it's in the dead of winter and you're trying to get to and from a place that maybe it's snowing and your plane gets canceled or whatever it might be, but, or you're trying to track down a player and then the player, but that's, you know what, that's what it is, whether it's a player or a coach or whatever. And you're, you, you think you have an interview scheduled and then something comes up and you have to postpone. And then it's just, when you get into this part of the, you know, right now, when you get into the season, it is very, very hard to make sure that you book things. And that's why, at least from our perspective with Sean and the, and the podcast, we try to be as absolutely flexible as we can. Hey, we know that you have a lot going on. We know you have a lot to do. So whenever we can make it work, um, we'll make it work. And and I think uh, some sometimes those things where you're trying to lock things in, but look, that is small potatoes to, to what we get to do. And uh, by no means am I saying that that's a bad thing, but it's something that sometimes you just you just got to be a little flexible with. I want everyone listening to this to know that when I was working with Paul to set up this time, he was very flexible. And when we settled on a time to record, one of the most prompt entrances I've seen right on the dot. So thank you, Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I felt bad. I know we kind of gone back and forth a little bit on the time, but when you get leading up to the season and we were talking about recording at night, I know it's uh, 9.42 in the morning right now. But as we were talking about recording it at night, I was like, oh, man, I, the last thing I want to do is put you in that situation where 
I commit to recording with you. And then all of a sudden Sean says, Hey, we have to record tonight. And then I got to move things around. So I said, you know what, if we do it in the morning, we'll be good. That's perfect, Paul. I'm going to get you out of here. Just the last, uh, last few here. College basketball seems to have these new fads and like new Twitter fads, I guess. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on secret scrimmages. People love tweeting and talking about secret scrimmages. What do you think? Well, I think what we need to do here is just figure out what we're doing. I mean, if it's secret, nobody should get it and there should be a massive penalty for releasing the news or we just don't call it secret and you just say, okay, you can report on what happened, but nobody can be in attendance. I, I just, you know, to go from to go from hearing about some and getting a full box score of some of them to not even knowing who won some of the other ones. It's just, I, I get that the coaches are, I get what the, the thinking is behind it. Now, Xavier this year, they played two secret scrimmages as opposed to generally what, what they've done forever. I can't remember a year that they haven't done this where they play one secret scrimmage. They play one public exhibition so that the players can get into root, a routine, you know, with, fans in the stands and how it works on a game day. Xavier's first experience with fans in the stands is going to be Robert Morris on Monday night. Um, I'm very interested to see how that goes because with a new team and new players and a new arena and everything else, 10,000 people there watching you, it is going to be a much different experience than it would be in two secret scrimmages. But yeah, I don't know what we're doing with these secret scrimmages, man. Let's, let's clean this up. It's so ridiculous. That's it's also very college basketball. It very. Oh yeah. Uh, Paul, outside of Xavier, who is someone you've interviewed or covered that you've enjoyed the most? Doesn't have to be basketball. Literally anyone outside Ooh. of Xavier. Aaron Goldsmith uh, has become a, a very uh, close. Uh, I, I hope he would consider friend. I would say friend, somebody that I've gotten to know and, and to talk to a lot. The, the broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners, he has been a massive help to me over my career. Um, and he's been somebody that I've really enjoyed getting to talk to. And, and I've interviewed him a couple of times, but also somebody that I've just been able to bounce ideas off of. If I have a tape, he'll listen to it. He'll get back to me. He gives me great feedback. Um, you know, he, I, there are a lot of fun people that I've interviewed, but outside of college basketball, um, you know, there are a lot of people that I can give credit to for help along the way. But as far as an interview goes, yeah, he's a lot of fun. So you have a bit of a baseball background as well. We're going to bring this interview full circle. What do you think about everyone complaining about the playoff format with 100 plus win teams uh, not advancing? I've gone back and forth on that in the last couple of weeks. I do think that it's it's a little tough when the best teams over the course of a baseball season aren't rewarded in the sense of you play 162 baseball is such a different sport than say like the the, the NBA like All right, the, yeah. the NBA the NFL it, it feels like pretty much every year the best team wins in the NBA right you you for sure get the best team the NFL you pretty much always the best team wins baseball i i Maybe a baseball purist would sit here and, and disagree with me. Um, 
to be honest, in the last two to three years, I haven't followed Major League Baseball as closely as I've followed it growing up. I've kind of fallen away from it in the last two to three years. And and just this year, I've really started to kind of get back into it. Um, but, you know, where you have Arizona, I, I, I grew up a massive Washington Nationals fan. They were a wild card team in 2019 when they won the World Series. Seems like a wild card team is getting there almost every year. I don't necessarily think you you change the playoffs. Make you, maybe you make the first round a four out of seven instead of two out of three, um, or, or I guess uh, you know when 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 they're losing, like the Orioles, for example, or the Braves. Maybe maybe you make that situation for a team like the Orioles, number one overall seed. Maybe that instead of a three out of five, it's a four out of seven. Um, but. Overall, I don't have too many complaints about it. I think if you're the best team, if you're the best team, you should go out there and win. And if you're not winning, then I, I get the layoff in between in those few days in between. But so it goes. Go out there and win. That's right. I, I, that's that's what I'm. That's how I'm airing uh, on this yeah. this side of this conversation. All right. I get, last- look, I get I get the argument. I get the argument that that you should give the number one seed the opportunity to go out there and play the best that they can and win, but go out there and win. Yeah. It's frustrating as hell when you see 300 plus win teams, not, not advanced last couple ones here, Paul, uh, what's the best environment you've covered a game in cannot be an NCAA tournament game. Uh, It can be in the CentOS center. Uh, Hopefully you're able to provide details, Uh, but the best environment you've covered a game in. Yeah, Xavier Villanova 2016, without oh, a that doubt. Was that was yeah, quick. Yeah, Xavier Villanova 2016. That was when Xavier was number five in the country. Villanova was number one. Xavier hadn't beaten Villanova since realignment. It will be very hard, at least from my perspective, to ever top that environment in any game or sport that I cover. Uh, that was so unique, so special, so fun. Um, that atmosphere was something that is incredibly hard to replicate. Um, I, I'm sure there will be a game or there will be a time at some point in my hopefully long career, uh, in sports that there, that there will be a time when I cover something like that again, but it's going to take a lot of stars to align. And, um, you know, I've never been to a final four. I've never been to a national championship game. Um, so maybe that will maybe that will be what changes it when whenever that day comes. But as far as a home court, uh, there was just nothing like that day. Xavier did end up winning that game, so that helped. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, we're gonna get you out of here on this. You've been amazing. This has been such a blast. But we end it with a question that I ask every single one of my guests. And this segment's called "Bring Them Up on Stage." Is there anyone in the college basketball space, maybe even outside of the college basketball space, that you think would Enjoy coming on to this podcast, sharing some stories, being as detailed and tremendous as you have been today. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this question. You sent me an email the other day and, and told me to, to kind of think about this. And I, I have been thinking about it. I'm trying to think uh, of people that, you know, college basketball world, you know, John Fanta is somebody obviously that comes to mind that um, has done a tremendous job in his career. Um, coaching wise, you, you said you'd already talked to David Miller. Adam Cohen is another one, you know, the the associate head coach at Xavier that um, has been great with me and is, is very good in the college basketball world. Um, I'm trying to think uh, if there's anybody that sticks out in my mind that would be 
Um, have you had John Fanta on the program before? A couple of years back, we were fortunate enough to get Fanta on, but he's got an open invite to come back on and I'd love to have him back on for sure. I hate that that's the cop-out answer, but that might be the cop-out answer. Um, just because he, he's so good and so detailed and so knowledgeable. That might be my cop-out answer on this. That's not the answer you were looking for because no, he's already fine. been on. He's already been on. So I know that's not the, the answer you were looking for, but I think that's the answer I'm going to have to give. Paul, I love it. And I will be reaching out to John again. You know what this, this just gives me more credibility because the last time I reached out to him, this speaks volumes of John's character. I, you know, I'm still a nobody, but I, I didn't have you in my corner saying, Hey, reach out to John. I'm just over here saying, you got time, John? He said yes. And he was uh, available to jump on. So uh, I will, I know he gets, I know about. he gets extremely busy this time of year, especially with the season rolling around, but uh, yep. you know, whether it's during the season or after the season, if you're ever able to get him on again, he's always fun. He's all, he always brings it. Yeah. Paul, this has been a blast. Tell us where we can listen to the Sean Miller podcast, please. Yeah. You can just find it on YouTube. It's just, um, you know, all the usernames everywhere. It's just at Sean Miller pod, um, Twitter, it's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. Uh, it's on TikTok. Uh, we're going to get more active on, on all these platforms as we kind of get established and get some clips out, things like that. YouTube, especially. And then you can subscribe on all podcast platforms. Sean Miller podcast. I need a ghost coming back to 2012, 2011 telling me Sean Miller is going to be on an app called pod or called TikTok. I know. What? <laughs> but that, that, what that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Paul Frischner, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Best of luck, uh, not only this upcoming season, but in your career. We will be following along. Cannot wait to tip off on Monday. Thank you again. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Okay. Want to thank Paul one more time for jumping onto the program. Had a blast. Some of the stories and the detail that he provided was terrific. And I'm glad we did go down that rabbit hole at the end uh, or towards the end of the interview because those are, those are what makes the stories great is the details. And I'm glad Paul was able to justify some of his responses as well. Certainly going to be looking forward to uh, hearing his work about reading his work. I definitely suggest you all consume Paul's content. Uh, I will be sure to listen to the Sean Miller podcast uh, and you can follow him on Twitter or X at Paul F R I T S C H. N-E-R. We're going to go ahead and get on out of here. Next episode, we will be dropping the second part of our mid-major previews. And then then it's tip time, folks. And then it's the real deal. It's the real damn thing, which I cannot wait for. Uh, Also want to make a quick note about how funny it was to wake up and immediately put a smile on my face because of Shams or Woj. uh, Daryl Morey trading James Harden in the middle of the night. This game never sleeps, I suppose. Want to thank Paul Fritchner one more time for jumping onto the program. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.